Advertising Week is proud to present Great Minds, People, and Culture, a podcast dedicated to exploring the art of intentional leadership during times of change. The goal of Great Minds, People, and Culture is to provide our audience with practical strategies, reliable data, and tangible advice as we look to empower leaders seeking to make a positive impact. Each 30-minute episode of People and Culture is a deep dive into the intricacies of effective leadership, featuring insightful conversations with experts and thought leaders. Great Minds People and Culture premieres September 2023 and will be available through your podcast store of choice and at advertisingweek.com. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is John Cook. John is the global CEO of one of the great agencies, VML YNR. He is a Midwest boy. I'm going to call you a boy, John, even though you're a full-grown man. I'll take it. And uh, we have a lot of mutual friends, and uh, I'm delighted to have you here today. So welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll take the boy title. That sounds making me younger already. I like it. There you go. So, uh, John, so many places to start with you, but I love your background going back to a great school that when I was applying for schools, I looked at pretty uh, closely, the University of Missouri, Columbia, which has a phenomenal journalism program. And I'd love to go back and talk about that choice, journalism, and how that helped you uh, for what has been an incredibly long career, an unusual one in our industry, and in that you've been, you know, with more or less the same shop, different iterations, but for a very long period of time, that makes you an outlier in many, many ways, uh, looking at our industry today. So I'd love, John, just to go back and, you know, dial the clock back a little bit to University of Missouri at Columbia and your choice of journalism as a focus. Yeah, I knew, um, thanks for the shout out to Mizzou. Whenever you say Mizzou, I'm never sure if people know the name Mizzou for Missouri or not, but I, I appreciate that. And and uh, yeah, it's a great J school. In fact, my daughter just graduated from there. So I was really proud. I have three daughters and my middle one uh, went there and loved it. It was cool to see how the, where the J school has gone. But yeah, I was, I was a guy that I knew I wanted to be in advertising. Um, I was in it in high school, junior high. And right there, and I lived in Kansas City, which and so the state college was Mizzou, Missouri. And, you know, it was really a pretty easy choice. I didn't look around too much. I was just kind of really blessed that one of the best J schools in the world, um, I, I believe, was right there. And it was, you know, affordable, right two hours from my home. And man, never looked back. Interestingly, they were, the J school was known for editorial journalism, magazine and print and photography and the ad kids. We were like the, uh, we were kind of like the dumb kids that couldn't do the other stuff. <laughs> At the time when I first got there and it was the advertising part of the J school was kind of the, the smaller part. Um, I got to go back and do the commencement speech there a couple years ago and the advertising part, which is now called strategic communications was by far the biggest part of the school. It was half the school. So it's kind of like, it's come a long way. So I was, I was pretty cool. And talk about, you know, you talked about, you know, I go to great J school. It is and was but back then newspaper magazine you know these were very robust 
professions for people to go into. Today, and there was a big uprising in the New York Times uh, boardroom recently around the decision to get rid of the sports department. And the New York Times sports writers, legends like George Vesey and Dave Anderson, all of whom, you know, must be, Dave's no longer with us, must be spinning in his grave, turning it over to The Athletic, a great acquisition. They spent a lot of money. But that's a real bellwether change for Mm -hmm. an institution that you always think of really, really passionate about the journalism part of journalism. Give us the benefit of perspective, what you've seen as a student, now as a father of a student, and you a commencement speaker. So give us your take on, you know, the evolution and current state of journalism. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just when I'm getting ready to be sad or sentimental about some of the things you mentioned, the the sports department and the, what a, what an editorial journalist is, I actually get um, excited and pretty motivated because of the advertising part of me and and the advertising part of the Missouri Journalism School or any J school now, I actually enjoy the way these things are coming together. Where we were down the hall from the editorial guy, we were learning persuasive communications, content creation. You know how to how to create viral messaging long before those were terms, and I love that. If you're a journalist now, if you're a sports writer, you have to be a full sports personality. You have to think about content, brand, being persuasive, uh, having a uh, you know a, a real punchy point of view. So I kind of I kind of like that, and I, I do like, but I do I know there's a, a sad side to it too, and a kind of a purist side of me. But um, I love the merger of those things, and that that a and I think some people would argue this, but I like the idea that as a journalist, you have to think about your brand as well. I can see how that could be polarizing because you could say that you don't want to become the story. And but especially as it relates to sports journalism, like you're talking about, I I like the the fact that the athletic is forced to have a brand and think about the a brand is made up of a portfolio of brands, which are all their their personalities. And I I enjoy that part of it. But I understand there's there's two sides to that for sure. I like your answer because you're staying true to who you are. And John, you said you always knew that you wanted to go into this field. Where did that come from? That came from um, when I was in high school. You know, was I, I graduated high school in 1989, and so those those so it was in junior high and high school in the 80s. And I feel like all the some of the brands that were with us today, like Nike, and they were all just I, I didn't call them brands, but I just I love the feeling that somebody somewhere was making decisions about how I was supposed to feel about a brand. And I could tell that other people would just look at a brand and have the feeling that the brand wanted you to have. I always felt like I had a little bit of a, either a superpower or a super interest in the idea that it wasn't just a feeling I was having with a brand, but that there was somebody somewhere deciding and thinking about what I was supposed to feel or how I might feel, or somebody somewhere was making an invitation to me to that brand. And that's how I would see things. You know, I wouldn't just see the brand, but I'd see Disney World, a big brand that I, I got to work at early on in college. And then the program I was part of at Disney, we got to see how they were making the experience. And so I just, I just love that. And that's where I, I knew, man, there's got to be a job for this. And I didn't actually know it was an ad agency. But when you found that out, it's like, this is exactly what, you know, what I want to be doing. And you end up uh, in account management early on, uh, a smaller shop. Talk about, you know, remembrances of those early days at uh, Nicholson Kobach. 
that agency's not no longer business, which makes me sad. But it was a to me when I was coming out of Mizzou, that was the biggest thing in the world, getting that job at at that agency. And then it was fifty people maybe, and it was just the biggest thing in the world to me at the time. And I I loved it. But I was in account management, and I was I thought I was good at it because no, nobody was better at making the logo bigger or writing a way too long brief for the creatives that they hated. <laughs> so I was probably right in my element. Um, funny enough, being an account guy with my bad cheap suit and my big ideas about making the logo bigger somewhere in there. I met this um, senior creative person that was this intimidating art director uh, that was the one who would never make the logo bigger and would never listen to my long brief. turns out she's now my wife. <laughs> and so um, I kind of have a career. The advertising gave me a career and, and my family, you know, so we, we started dating early on and um, kind of some cross pollination between creative and account management from the early days. Fantastic. And, and you then make a leap to what at the time was VML and start a tenure there that is getting darn near close to 30 years in one form or another, <laughs> yeah. uh, yet you're not a day older. Um, <laughs> talk about that move from a small shop, sadly no longer with us, to a bigger shop that has uh, you know, grown and grown and, and really exploded in so many ways. Uh, but talk about that transition and remembrances of those early days going back yeah. to the mid, the mid 90s at VML. I I remember like it's yesterday honestly because the decision was so hard because I was I I was at the naive point of view that when you started somewhere that was your job till you were 65 at least you know and so the idea to to leave but um my first boss Matt Anthony had gone over to this company VML and I just I was the, just the idea, the invitation to go somewhere else, the feeling of being pursued and somebody else wants, it was all new territory for, you know, when you're 25, 26 years old. It's interesting, right? And now I find myself talking people out of taking those invitations to leave companies. But for me, it was great. It was, it was stepping off a pretty known thing into a company that had about 20 to 25 people. VML at the time had just started, had one or two clients. And, and um, I remember that decision. I remember the big the big ask that I made was I think I was making um, you know twenty eight thousand dollars and I think they offered me thirty one and I remember asking for thirty five and I thought it was the I was so nervous to make that ask <laughs> not that you want to know all my specific salary and compensation history but I just remember the nervousness I had of going I would love to come but I would like to be in the power range of thirty five thousand dollars <laughs> um, and I got it and you know and so. It's probably the the raise I'm most proud of in my entire life, just because I never I remember the courage it took to ask and to leave that company and step out of the known into the unknown. Listen, I I remember my first salary. I'm just ahead of you. I graduated from school. I went to Emory in 1986, and my first salary I think was sixteen nine. <laughs> yeah, and it was yeah. a very big deal when I made a leap uh, in November of '87. To my second job, I was running the sports commission for New York and used to go to Kansas City quite a bit because an oddity, the two dominant firms in sports architecture are both Kansas City firms, HOK and LRB Beckett. Yeah. And those two are responsible for most of the great stadiums and arenas. 
I love that you know that. Yeah. And then I remember when they were opening both the, both the New York stadiums, the Yankees and the Mets were opening. And why was that a big deal in Kansas City? Well, because two Kansas City sports architects were, were on top of both these giant New York institutions. It was awesome. And while we're in Kansas City, what a great town. I used to stay at the old Savoy, uh-huh, which, yeah. which I love the romance of that place, a legendary institution in jazz history. And uh, we touched on it earlier, but I believe you are less than 10 minutes right now from one of the great barbecue establishments in the world, Arthur Bryant's. <laughs> yeah, and I, we're recording this middle of the day. Oh my gosh, I could go there. And <laughs> after this is over, I may go down there, but they, you know, that guy will just grab the giant plate of fries dip, dipped in the lard, <laughs> just pull out the fries and the big beef sandwich. Yep. I am close to Arthur Bryant's. Yeah, you may. Uh, we may not live as long if we. If we <laughs> no, that, no, but it'll but, be good getting there. You know, back to uh, the business. Give us a sense. Your early jobs. Did you build on account management? You know, where did you go early on at VML? And it's a great story. You have literally risen all the way up the ladder to global CEO, but you sure as heck didn't start there. Yeah, I was, somebody was asking me the other day about uh, advice about starting out and should they start in account management or strategy or creative and speaking to a group of, of students or of interns here. I said, honestly, and they said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I was in account management. I said, but the that was a means to what I think was most important early in the career, which was just this understanding of being indispensable and irreplaceable. And account management happened to be where I could do that the best. And it, it wasn't a you know, a selfish thought at all. It was just this thought that it became really clear early on that that getting close to clients, to be talked about as somebody who is hard to replace or indispensable. Somebody had given me that advice. I can't remember who, but I just loved it. And I pass it on whenever I can when people are deciding what to do. And whatever department suits you, but just be critical to clients and to your team. And you can you can feel if you are that, you know, you can feel if your team needs you and wants you. And anyway, I did that through account management for sure. And, you know, it's just, I was somebody who really wanted to be around creativity, very creative person, creatively minded, but it was just the way that I could express it because I wasn't a copywriter, an art director, had a lot of appreciation for that, but just being around it and trying to be the vehicle that could put people on the, at the right place on the stage at the right time. I love, love that and loved it. And I still think I'm not in account management now, but I just... If I remember anything, it's being indispensable, but also just the world's like a theater of advertising. And how do you, in account management, how can you make sure the right people are on? They come on stage at the right time. They leave at the right time. They, they're in the right pairings on the stage. I just love the idea of the whole thing being like a, a great musical, if you will. I got to do that through account management. It was great. Fantastic. And you must have had some great uh, early mentors. We'll get to uh, a mutual friend of ours later in our conversation, the great David Sable. But I'm ge- I'm guessing in those younger days at VML, and there must have been some folks who, some great minds, who really helped you along the way. Yeah, lo- lots of them. And I, I mentioned Matt. Matt was my first, the guy that hired me at NKHW and hired me at um, at VML. Had me take that leap for the thirty five thousand dollars, <laughs> and uh, um, I think he was just great about. Uh, Preaching indispensability and and clients first and the obsession with with service, um, and then you know VML was founded by Valentine McCormick and Ligabel. All three were were mentors, just like Matt was. But uh, I remember John Valentine just being the one who was most pronounced about um, you know the the importance of of partnerships with the clients and and not overthinking it to be some calculated scheme of client relationship 
he laughed at stuff like that and just always said, Hey, this is about, you know, working with people you want to work with, being yourself, um, being a, being a resource to clients. Those friendships come through that. But I always appreciated that because I don't think a client relationship is something you want to manufacture or fake or try to, you know, uh, have a system for it's, it's, this is human beings working with human beings. And if you have passionate people doing that, it, it works out well. He was great about that, that point, which I, I still hold to this day. I don't want to have some fake relationship with a client, you know, that is manufactured. Gotcha. No, it makes perfect sense. I, I don't know that much about the founders of VML. I know, and I always associate the great Lester Wonderman with your world, you know, and your shop more broadly uh, as an icon of the business. But can we talk a little about John and the other founders? Yeah, it's it's uh, three gentlemen, Valentine, McCormick, and Ligabel, who, who um, you know, grew up in Kansas City and had a, a fantastic um, Kansas City ad agency they were at called Valentine Radford. John's dad had started Valentine Radford. The three of them were executives there. There was a, I'll make a long story really short. There was a falling out. Uh, the three of them left Valentine Radford and were figuring out what to do next. I think they were all <laughs> going to do, do different things. And then a good friend of the three of them worked at Northwest Airlines. His name was Chris Clauser. And Chris was you know, one of the senior executives at Northwest, needed an agency, didn't want to, had plenty of big agencies, including, including J. Walter Thompson. He needed, he needed a smaller, more nimble agency to handle some, some kind of covert work that he needed to have done. And um, hired those three guys and said, if you form an agency, um, you'd be one of mine. I'm massively paraphrasing, um, but it's important because VML wouldn't be here today without those three guys responding to him and forming an agency to work with Northwest. Um, so interesting, they were three guys in Kansas City with one client, essentially, that was based in Minneapolis, Northwest Airlines. And um, they they spent most of their time servicing Northwest, flying to Minneapolis, had apartments in Minneapolis. And um, and so when I came on and when, when Matt, who I mentioned earlier, myself, were part of it, we were, we were kind of designed to build out other clients and build out Kansas City, um, which worked. It was a huge success, both Northwest and then um, the business we built out there. They sold the company to WPP in 2001. And then all exited the business in the years that followed with that. And I think, you know, as well as I do, these 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 exits and these acquisitions, it often leads to ego and confusion and chaos of what the founders are going to do. These these three guys were perfect about it. They all knew when they wanted to exit. They were paid a, a good price for the company they'd built, but they left it in the hands of a bunch of <laughs> late 20-year-olds and said, you guys take this and do what you want with it. It's It's really fun to go see their reaction now when VML YNR is one of the biggest agencies in the world and their names in it. And I think they're still <laughs> trying to figure out how that happened. But yeah. uh, in all seriousness, I think they're really proud. And I get great notes from the three of them long exited from the business, but always paying attention and, and cheering me and our company on. And I think they're really proud of what it's become. Fantastic story. And you've been there for the whole ride. Unusual for a firm not New York, not LA, not London, you know, not Sao Paulo. You're the global CEO out of the Midwest. I think that speaks a lot to you and a lot to how WPP over time has valued, you know, the roots of VML. Uh, you emerge as a dominant brand in the whole VML YNR Colossus. But talk about that. And I think you have real perspective as a Midwesterner 
as to why, you know, that's not a surprise in many ways and why it's worked so well? Yeah, a great, great question. It's, it's there's so many um, deep parts of your question that, you know, just that really resonate with me. But, but a quick, first of all, I think I have the best job in the world because you're right. I don't live in New York, Sao Paulo, Paris, London, but I get to go to all those places and, and run a global company. So I, I feel so lucky to live where I grew up and to go to all those places, but come home to where, you know, where I grew up and to have created a very global worldly experience and career, but to do that, you know, it's, it's, I'm really fortunate. And I think, you know, cr hopefully created a lot of my own fortune by being good at what I do, but I'm also really uh, appreciative. Mark Reed, 2018, um, he had just come in to be the CEO of WPP had taken over for Sir Martin and Mark and I were talking about VML and YNR coming together, um, form something even more powerful, simplified, et cetera. Asked me if I'd be the CEO of that and take the leadership there. I said, yes. And uh, a nice part of that conversation was me saying, do I need to move to London or New York? And he said, no, I don't know why you, this is pre-pandemic. And Mark was, I think, really visionary at that time to say, no, you're, as long as you are traveling the world and, and doing all the things you do to run a global company, you know what you're doing, deliver whatever you want. And I think uh, that trust from Mark about that, I don't know if he would you know, remember how important that was to me, but I've always tried to live up to that. I'll be as global and, you know, hopefully as effective as anybody you could ever hire for this and to pay back the idea that I could kind of live where I needed to and wanted to live. So that was very important to me and it's worked great, to be honest with you. Let's talk about Mark, because uh, I don't think he's gotten nearly the credit that he deserves for how he has steered the WPP ship. Uh, he's made some great moves, some great acquisitions, made some tough decisions. I know he stepped into an interesting set of uh, army boots uh, following Sir Martin, but talk about Mark and the job that he's done. Yeah, I'm, that same fall, we had a big leadership meeting in Brooklyn, all the WPP leadership, probably the top 200 people. And I think it was, I think it was where Mark really put his, his mark on WPP and, and was very bold about decisions. He really got behind the idea that we're going to massively simplify WPP. There was hundreds of agencies all reporting, you know, in one place. So we're going to simplify it. And VML and Wine are coming together was one of those was a tactic in that over overall stretch uh, simplification. But the thing I loved about Mark is he said we're not going to sacrifice agency personalities while we do that. We're not going to become one WPP. We're just one agency with one personality. And because I think he has a lot of respect for. The, the variation be that happens between agency cultures. And I think he's done the perfect balance of letting WPP have a culture and we're as unified as, as ever. But there's still VML YNR and Ogilvy and Wonderman and Group M and, and they each have personalities. And I think that's a, that's a big difference between other holding companies. And I'm not here to talk about them. You asked me about Mark. And I just think that was a bold decision that he stood behind really well. And he hasn't, we haven't sacrificed simplicity in doing that. Um, that that's that's the thing, and I think Mark's big on um, his first thing is clients, clients, clients. And I think he made a good point to all of us during the pandemic, which was finding new ways to spend time with clients. And almost the pandemic, I think he himself got into a lot more client conversations because it was almost easier because you could do them virtually. And I think that just set a great pattern for all of us. That the number one thing is is talking about clients, we're talking with clients about their business, and I just love that. So. Um, 
yeah, he's 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 a long way away. We're very different people because he's in London. I'm in Kansas City, and there's a lot of differences there. But we we get along great, and I think have a great uh, respect for each other for sure. And from your vantage point, looking at it, you're a VML guy going you know way back to the mid '90s. Uh, y and R, you know, in relative terms. I mean, I've been at this twenty some odd years, but you know, it's funny. I, I still think of myself as a sports guy from my early career, which was actually a much shorter tenure. That's how I knew the HOK and LRB Beckett folks. I was going to ask you, you have a lot of knowledge of that. We, I started the Sports Commission for New York in 1987, and we used to bid uh, to bring new events into the New York area. We got the Meadowlands and the Garden to all work together and stop fighting across the Hudson River. And my most interesting interaction with the HOK guys was connected to the World Cup. We're in the midst now of the Women's World Cup, the uh, Men's World Cup will be coming back to America in 2026. But it was first here in 1994. And uh, there was no stadium that worked in New York for a FIFA regulation football match and giant stadium which was the closest we had was not wide enough and we went through all kinds of iterations and and hoops uh at the behest of the u.s soccer federation and fifa both of whom were remarkably corrupt as advertised uh and if you saw the fifa uncovered documentary on netflix i dealt with a lot of those guys and they were as advertised and as portrayed in that documentary and uh, HOK helped us come up with a bunch of ideas, um, and the best of which was to build a 70,000-seat modular stadium on the grounds of Aqueduct Raceway. And it really would have worked, and it was a very ambitious plan. We spent about a quarter million dollars developing the plan, and it's too long a story, but in the end, the matches were played at Giant Stadium on a non-regulation field, and no one said anything. And they took us right back to where the whole thing started, which is what we had proposed initially. Uh, and it was... Uh, you said if you just would have listened to us from the beginning. <laughs> well, I, I, it, we said it a little more colorfully than that. Um, but yes, <laughs> right, right. That, was, that was the gist of what we were saying. I interrupted your question about, you were asking, you were talking about Y&R and... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, sorry that, that. That's, what makes this, that's what makes this all fun is neither one of us knows where it's going to go. So, <laughs> I love it. So Y&R, such a, a, an iconic brand and has not disappeared certainly, but VML is on top. From me, uh, outsider, I'm like, man, you know, I lament the loss of some of these brands. Now it's not lost, it's still there. JWT, you know, is gone. Ogilvy's still there, so many others uh, uh, there, but so many others gone. Is that just the nature? I mean, you look at the retail area, you know, right where our office is, we're right in the shadow of Macy's, but, you know, Gimbel's used to be down the street and, and there were so many others, JCPenney, which is where Advertising Week will be this year, will be in what was the old JCPenney at Herald Square. Is this just, John, the nature of life, that things move on, things evolve? You know, VML ended up, you know, really on top here. And I would not have made that bet 25 years ago. Yeah, it's it's kind of a loaded question because to I, I have trouble agreeing because I'd have to then agree that, you know, it's not a, I just don't think about it as a top or a bottom or a win or a lot. And the name is VML YNR and VML's first in the name. Maybe it's alphabetical. Maybe it's easier to say, you know, that. 
we do have a long name. Weinar is not any more gone than VML is gone as a company. They're both they're just together in a new company. And I think that's, you know, it, it, I don't know if that's loss of Weinar or that's just gain of something new. There's And I didn't mean to back into a corner. I think you said yeah. it very well before is that, you know, the one plus one here would equal three or four. Right. So the losses, I, I think it's less. I think both VML and Weinar, as they were known, are gone. You know, that's true. I think what they are together is VML, Weinar. And I could look at that as, you know, it's a company that's been around for five years or it's a company that has the the hundred years of Weinar's history behind it and the 25 of VML. So, but we definitely, definitely think of it as like a, as a, as a new company. And, uh, but in, in the, and I think, I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap on, and not from you, but just because I'm the CEO and I came from VML and and there's some other leadership positions, but that are from the VML, but there's plenty from Weinar. And in the hallways here, you don't feel a VML or a Weinar as much as you just feel a new, a new company. I'm trying desperately not to agree that Weinar's dead. In fact, a month ago, we did a, a centennial uh, celebration of Weinar's 100 years. Yeah, no, I think you've paid homage and, and honored that heritage brilliantly. And what I love about your tenure in the last five years, John, is you have injected an entrepreneurial spirit and almost a startup type of mentality into a company that, as you said, is in concert at 125 years old. That's very purposeful. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, it's it's a great. I appreciate that observation. It's I think to recognize that VML and YNR and coming together were both had strengths, but but they also both had limitations. And I think you're you're talking about a potential limitation of of YNR, if I may. I feel qualified to talk about the, both of the companies. So there's many many strengths um, that both companies had. But to be honest, I think we were trying to in, in putting them together, also trying to to eliminate some some gaps. I think VML potential gap was a very digital company was becoming an ad a, a full on full service ad agency but would potentially lack the perception at that time that it that it was something bigger than a digital agency at the time YNR didn't have that challenge YNR maybe though to be fair had the it was getting lumped in with the dinosaurs it was getting lumped in with agencies that were considered losing irrelevance and I don't think that's true, but I do think there was a, a feeling that agencies that size and of that um, tenure, whether it was true or not, would be perceived as as too big, too too ad agency ish. So I think, to your point, I think both agencies coming together then created a whole new kind of tablet to work on, and and that so trying to find a centerpiece for what brings those together, entrepreneurialism was was one of the biggest kind of behaviors we wanted to put in in the combined company if you if you would agree that both companies had certain behavior let's leave those behind let's let's find new behavior entrepreneurialism which is why I'm appreciative you said it was one of the first things we said we we actually called it swagger and the idea was let's let's have we don't need to wait to have swagger we you know like most companies are like how are we going to build our swagger we were like we got swagger we're freaking YNR and VML VML is red hot YNR is one of iconic you know, let's not wait around to have swagger. And that swagger was manifested in entrepreneurialism. So, and that's worked. It ha- I, I wouldn't talk about today if it was like a, a failed strategy, but I think the idea of constantly evolving capability and constantly evolving to grow business were land, you know, hallmarks of, of entrepreneurialism that we want to make sure we're here. It's worked. Uh, a- absolutely fantastic. 
talk about that global role and operating out of a, a pretty small airport. <laughs> we just, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it. <laughs> uh, it's a great airport. It's easy, easy in, easy out. Mm. Uh, we just got a new one. You got to come see it, Matt, because it's like it's brand new. We got it. We had the NFL draft in Kansas City. You know, big things are happening here besides Arthur Bryant's, which is cool. It's like we got the uh, NFL draft here. We got the World Cup in 26. So we got a new airport. You got to come see it. It's it, it's. I hope it's as easy <laughs> to get in and out as the old one. That, yeah, that could I'm, not I'm worried you won't. Uh, yeah, it is. It is easy. It's not as easy because what you're talking about for all everybody listening, it, you could get off in Kansas City as of like even three months ago. You could get off your, as you know, get off your flight and you could be in your taxi or your Uber within thirty steps. <laughs> you know, it was it was awesome. I love I uh, love that. I love yeah. that. Well, listen, you're a growing market. You need a bigger airport. But, <laughs> yeah. but talk about that challenge. You, you know, you got a family, a lot of time on planes, uh, virtual helps some of it. Uh, but uh, you're in a business where you got to be in the room. You got to be there with the clients, looking them in the eye across the table. Yeah. No, I travel all the time. It's it's probably insane how much I travel, but I do love it. Uh, and I'm admitting I'm at easier place in my life. My kids are we're empty nests. My wife Lisa and I, and we our three daughters are um, either in college or or graduated now working uh, or in grad school. And uh, so we got we got it rolling now. I can I can kind of go. In fact, I think my wife gets worried if I'm there for more than a day or two. Like, why are you here? <laughs> so, right, right. Um, but yeah, so I got, but yes, it, it, it did create some, uh, if I'm honest, all kidding aside, it was a pretty hard decade five years ago when we were really globalizing VML. We took about a, oh, five, five to eight year period where before the merger with YNR where VML was globalizing. And that, that decade may have taken a decade off my life. It was hard because my kids were, that's when they were in junior high and high school. And that's when, you know, I was, I was traveling a lot. It was hard. Um, we made it through all that. Um, it was a really tight, uh, tight family. And, um, but yeah, it, it, it strained, it, it strained it because it, I was, I was gone all the time. Um, and so here we, here we are today, we've got a global company and I still have a family. So I think it's two for two on that, but not, not easy years, but pretty, pretty, pretty exciting ones. And I was on a plane a lot. Yeah. So this is sort of a softball question. I think I've inadvertently uh, uh, cornered you a couple of times. That was certainly not my intent. But, you know, if you could blink yourself anywhere in the world now, what's your favorite? You've, you've probably been to all continents all over. Sort of a softball question, but. Uh, oh, yeah, it's a good one. It's a, yeah, a fun one, though. I'm trying to think what. Yeah, I mean, I, I would eliminate the places that like I would go naturally because of business like London. And you mentioned it, Sao Paulo, London. Um Shanghai, et cetera. I think the place I probably wouldn't have gone that much except for business, except for being in this company was probably Cape Town, Johannesburg, all of South Africa. I probably would have ended up there on vacation, but we acquired a company there 10 years ago. It's been fantastic. It's now VML YNR South Africa. But that's I would say that's I, I love lots of places, but I just I just found it fascinating there and find it fascinating. And it's I just answer it that way because that's a place I wouldn't probably have gone mm -hmm. if I wasn't in this job, you know, if it's, that it's makes sense. Great answer. I'm going to Johannesburg Sunday. Oh, and, my goodness. Okay, yeah. uh, and I feel very similar. Uh, were it not for business, we launched yeah. Advertising Week Africa in Johannesburg a few months ago. And uh, we brought Kevin Hart over and we had a oh, partner cool. partnership with the Nelson Mandela Foundation, a partnership with Education Africa. And uh, I I'm from New York. My family's from Brooklyn. I grew up in Queens. 
and you hear my voice. I'm a New Yorker, you know, through and through with my uh, Queens accent. Uh, <laughs> but I felt like in Africa, there was something indescribable about it where you sort of feel mm -hmm. like you're home. And it feel to uh, me, no. it felt like everyone's home. And, and I can't really explain it. But do you know what I mean? I couldn't. I, yeah, I, I can't explain it. But I know for what's worth, I know what you mean. I always felt like there too, that I'm always only experiencing. And I think it's like fun thing about it. I always feel like I'm experiencing 1% of it. I just feel like there's so much there. And I always like that feeling like I could come back here a billion times. And I'm just getting started on the textures of it. And so yeah, well, good luck. Have have fun there. I've, I'm jealous. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a quick trip. We're trying to make our uh, plan for next year because it, it was a real heavy lift for us to to do it over there. We're a relatively small company, uh, but when you see the impact that we were able to have on young people in particular, uh, you want to find a way to you know continue that journey. Um, let's talk about the challenge of managing a company and going and growing as, as business culture continues to evolve. Tough to get people in the office. Uh, you're in a people business. You kind of need your people there, I would think, a, a healthy amount of a time. How are you navigating that change, not just at the home office in Kansas City, but globally? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that probably is on my mind more than, maybe more than it should or... Um... Yeah, take, it occupies a lot of mind space and, and anxiety about it because I'm still coming to kind of to realize what this what the world's gonna be like because I definitely have that older school mentality of being in the office and but to, to answer the question I think first of all we're generally speaking and it, it varies a little bit by country but we're we're mostly um, we're we're a hybrid company we do and again this varies from country to country but like for example in the U.S. we're mandatory Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and then Friday Monday and Friday we're open and come in and hope you come in, but it's not mandatory. So those are pretty quiet days in the office. And so we're doing pretty well Tuesday through Thursday, but I would say it's as mandatory as it is, it's a light mandatory because there's a lot of people who just, who, who don't, aren't able to fulfill that the whole time. And, but I, I struggle with it because, you know, if, if, cause I, I, I do like the flexibility, but I, things that I miss, if maybe this is a way to answer it, that I'm a little bit sad that are you're not as not as good as they used to be in that respect are the amount of friendships that happen at work the amount of happy hours that happen after work the amount of uh new business time together the ordering pizza at 10 o'clock uh running to the fedex station at 11 o'clock you know i i'm i probably sound like too sentimental on those things but i think they were if i i i wouldn't point them out if they weren't things that made me whatever i am you know both in my relationships and my uh, work ethic. And, and I'm not here to suggest that people don't have a work ethic by any means. I'm just, if I'm honest, those are, those are social things that, and I, and so if there's a different way to recreate the effects of all those things I just listed, I'm all for it. But I worry that there's, a, that, that there may not be a way. And you, you know, from advertising week, uh, you know, the, the big in-person experience where people not only go to the events, they hang out in between the events, they go, at the, in the evenings, they build meetings around it, and I just I do worry about the 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 effect and of of being hybrid and and all that. That all said, selfishly, I love it when I can go work somewhere else on a Friday and you know or a Monday or or duck out a little differently for something. It's um, that's a mixed answer, Matt. But I um, honestly, I 
still kind of kind of coming to grips with it. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. And, you know, you reminded me of, you know, those early days when you'd be looking, you know, which was the FedEx that was open till 10. Yeah. You know, most yeah, of them yeah. were open till nine. And sometimes <laughs> there's that have, one that has the drop box at till 10, you know? Yeah. You'd have to hustle to like the far West side of Manhattan or some obscure yeah. location. But yeah, I think that hustle, you know, makes you better. And, I totally agree. And I hope for the, you know, that next generation that they'll find some way in the digital world to have yeah. to hustle. Uh, yeah. Cause it does make you better. I do. I do. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think one, um, really positive thing that I've seen the last year, maybe probably the last two years is new business opportunities are, are fully back in person. There was that weird year where they were, you know, you do a hybrid pitch, which is the worst, you know, or not a hybrid, a virtual pitch. And I love that new business for the most part, every opportunity that we see, it's, it's mostly, and now maybe sometimes the early round would be virtual, but I, th I think the, I love the idea that in our business, you still go see a potential client for a pitch and you still have that night before at the hotel where you're practicing and that's still a nervous morning where you wake up and, you know, throw up in the trash can before you go on stage you know, or whatever it might be as a, as a person coming up in the business. I am so glad that that's client relationships and new business are, are seem to be fully back. Yeah. Could, could not agree more. Well, John, thank you so much for doing this. This was absolutely <laughs> a, a terrific conversation. I, I think we went down some uh, unexpected paths for us both. Uh, I love that. But that's what makes this, uh, you know, what it is just a, a conversation and, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the new airport. Now you've piqued my interest. Yeah, yeah. We'll come to Kansas City, get to the airport. I'll take you to Arthur Bryant's, and we'll we'll keep this going. <laughs> I hope you like the new airport. I'm a little worried it's not as easy as you as, Listen, you, if, as it if, used to be. If it's if it's on the way to Arthur Bryant's, you got it. Is. Me. You got it. In fact, there's probably Arthur Bryant's at the airport. That's how far we've gone. No, we'll no, see. no. I want the not real one. There. I, I, I want <laughs> I want my French fries cooked in oil that ha that hasn't been changed since uh, Woodrow Wilson was the president. Yep. That's what gives yep. it the magic. Count on All right. it. <laughs> All right, John. Thanks. All right, Matt. Thank you.